0: This is the Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh.
1: The Word is sharper than any tool it's And it comes deep into my heart.
0: The Word to Stand On for Life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the Word to your daily life.
2: and thanks for tuning in on this Tuesday edition. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas and you're listening to the Word to Stand On for Life, a radio program dedicated to answering your questions and we do that by taking your phone calls. You can call us with whatever's on your heart or mind at 340-9585 that's 340-9585 you can also call toll free at 877-630-KSLR that's 630-5757 you can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com or you can send them in via our free Calvary Chapel mobile app. If you're driving in your car, the safest way to call us, use the free KSLR mobile app. Just hit the call now button and you will be connected directly to our studio producer. Uh, Just be careful while you're driving. Well, it's Tuesday. That means there's nothing nothing else to do except go right to the questions. I got some pretty good ones that came in via email. Uh, today or overnight anyway Uh, let me do this one first this is from our mobile app from Richard um, Pastor Ron, can you comment on Job 33:14 through 18? And is this relevant for us today? Is there a possibility that we hear our prayers answered through our dreams today? Let me read the passage, Richard, um, and then we'll, we'll talk about dreams. Um, verse 14 says, For God does speak, now one way, now another, though man may not perceive it, in a dream and a vision of the night when deep sleep falls on men as they slumber in their bed. He may speak in their ears and terrify them with warnings, to turn man from wrongdoing and keep him from pride, to preserve his soul from the pit, his life from perishing by the sword." A couple of things, Richard, just generally about uh, the Book of Job, and and uh, the the principle is also true with uh, the Psalms and with Proverbs and with Ecclesiastes and the Song of Solomon. These are poetic books. So um, the authors are using poetic language to paint pictures. Now the pictures are true for sure but the the uh, th- these are not books that we want to make New Testament doctrine out of we want to find out what's being communicated and what we're being told. Now, in this particular case, it really is pretty straightforward, uh, and it is relevant to us today because God still speaks to people in dreams. Now, uh, sometimes, and I'm always wary a little bit about uh, talking to people about their dreams because we have a tendency to do two things, and they're completely opposite extremes. One of them is that we, we tend to think that every dream comes from God. If it's vivid, if we remember it, oh, God must be trying to tell me something. That's not always true. God speaks to us in dreams, but he speaks to us infrequently in dreams. Um, He communicates in a way. Remember, this is a relationship we have with Jesus, and he wants us to know that we have a communication avenue open to us. Not only can we talk to God, but God can speak to us, and in some cases, He speaks to us in dreams. The other extreme that I spoke about is to disregard dreams altogether. There's always balance, Richard, in these things. Uh, The book of Joel, of course, says your old men will dream dreams, and now that I'm at that point where I qualify, uh, I have to tell you, I I have uh, horrible nightmares at night, and my dreams uh, and nightmares are very, very vivid. Um, but uh, almost none of them, of course, are from God. If God was going to give me a dream, it would be about something that uh, he's dealing with my heart on, something that he's preparing me for. Uh, there could be any number of things, but it would be encouraging in, in most cases. Um, so so uh, the fact that you have vivid dreams doesn't mean that it's necessarily from God. There's something else about dreams. If God sends you a dream, Richard, uh, he wants you to know what the meaning of it is. Now, sometimes he just doesn't want you to know until you're ready to know the meaning. And because sometimes dreams are preparation for things that are going to happen at some point in the future, um, when you need to know, God will tell you. This isn't one of those things we have to go into dream analysis. We don't have to ask everybody else to interpret the dreams. In the Old Testament, because the Holy Spirit didn't live in people, people like Job and people like Daniel and, and people like the prophets, Isaiah and Jeremiah and others, many who had dreams, um, they, they could only interpret the dreams uh, if God enabled them to do so. You and I, we have the Spirit of God living in us, and we have the Word of God given to us. So God speaks to us in dreams. If that's the case, he'll make sure you understand what it is. He's not just idly saying something to you. He wants you to know. And at the right time, you'll know what the meaning is. One of the things, Richard, that I do with dreams, uh, and and the other thing is if I feel like God has given me a word that, that I just don't quite understand the application, I sort of file those things away. And I file them away because I know that if it truly is from God, then at the right time He'll make the meaning known. So yes, we do uh, have dreams. Uh, at the same time, uh, we we don't um, necessarily need to imagine that every dream is from the Lord. So I hope that helps. It does matter for us today. Um, let's go to another question interesting Uh, first Job questions I've had um, in a long long time and here is uh, one from Nacho the question is um, could Job 23.12 be a messianic verse as it's similar in tone and context to Deuteronomy chapter 8 verse 3 which Jesus quotes in Matthew 4.4 let me stop there just for a minute Nacho because when Jesus quotes it we know it's a messianic application uh, deuteronomy um, uh, 8:3 was always understood by jews to be messianic in context um, some of the same thing is true with david's psalms um, but when jesus quotes them or when they fulfill a specific prophecy then we know for sure that they're messianic uh, then uh, Nacho says, chronologically, it's believed that Job uh, lived first before Moses, uh, the book of Job being written uh, much later, though. So what Job said was first before Deuteronomy was written, if it had any bearing on the genesis uh, of the source of the phrase. Let me look at Job 23.12, and I'll read it, and we'll kind of talk about what that is. Hold on. 23. Job 23.12 says, I have not departed from the commands of his lips. I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my daily bread. Uh, I like the next line too. But he stands alone and who can oppose him? Um, he does whatever he pleases. He carries out his decree against me and many such plans he has or he still has in store. That's why I'm terrified before him. When I think of all this, I fear him. Now, this is one of the big moves, and I'm going to answer the question in a moment, Nacho, but this is one of the big turning points in Job's poem. Because this is where, um, rather than asking God questions, or even better put, questioning God, He's now understanding that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Now, we know that Solomon wrote that, but at the same time, uh, it's a principle that we forget uh, even to this very day. And so this is his first step of coming back. Um, When I think of all this, I fear him." Now the verse that you reference, Nacho, uh, is similar in context uh, to Deuteronomy, uh, but but it doesn't speak specifically of Jesus. This describes a very specific... issue a problem that job is going through um you all know job's story he lost everything uh his family he lost his belongings uh early in the book his friends start coming to him and they start accusing him of secret sin and and job is questioning why are you letting these things happen why are these men speaking evil in my ears and what he's got to do he's got to get to the point where he stops asking god why and instead starts looking for the who and the whole book of Job is about this process it's one that we really really can learn from you know I tell our church here all the time uh, Nacho that uh, it's always okay to ask God questions but it's never okay to question God and I think when we question God, well, if God is God of love, why does he do this? Or, well, why did God kill men, women, and children in the Old Testament? Those kind of things. That's questioning God. That's opposing God. And And when we question God, it's because at the root of it all is that we've lost the fear of God. It's almost as though we believe that we have a point that God has to listen to. And Job had to learn throughout the entire book of Job that God is sovereignly in control of all things. And through the entire book of Job, chapter after chapter after chapter, and at times it gets painfully tedious, but God never answers the question why until Job learns the who. And then Job finally gets to that point that we all need to get to in our daily walk with the Lord. Uh, Before I'd only heard about you. I thought I knew you, but now I have seen you. Now I have heard you. And he fell down in the fear of God. But also understanding how awesome God was. And I mean that awesome in power sense. And so the book of Job is given to us not to find out why God does things, but to learn who he is in our lives when bad things are going on. So um, it's not messianic, but it is, I think, a really, really valuable, valuable book. You know, the book of Job, I didn't want to teach it for the longest time, and I didn't want to teach it because I have a tendency of experiencing all the things that that we're going through in the book that I'm teaching. and And frankly, I just, you know, I know it sounds silly, but uh, but it was such a wonderful book and, and had a, a huge impact on our church. Let's go to Uvalde, Texas, and talk with Joe on line one. Joe, thanks for calling. You're on the air.
1: Yes. Uh, God bless you, uh, Pastor. Uh, Thank you. Uh, the, the, uh, I have, Pastor, uh, some information to give you. I don't know. Uh, it's very easy to uh, memorize. and uh, it's, um, Have you heard of a Talking Bible? It's like a, tab, a tablet, lab tablet.
2: Yes, I ha- in fact, I have one because I'm visually impaired, so we've got uh, Oh,
1: okay. Our, the, our own. That, that was a reason I was uh, calling because I thought of you first when I heard about that because I was going to give you the information so that you could order it.
2: Oh, no. So uh, you we've have got one. We, we've sure. got it. Thank you very, very much. It was uh, just a, a, t- to have the word read to you. Uh, now, as you've heard on the program, Joe Paula does most of the reading to me, and, and we prefer that simply because it gives us time in the word together. But um, um, it is a, a, a gift. Uh, an absolute gift um, to to have uh, uh, the first talking Bible that I had. The audio Bible with Max McLean reading the scriptures. Um, but uh, e- even on my U version on my tablet, uh, it's it's really really valuable. Thank you so much for thinking about me.
1: And since I'm visually impaired, I guess more than you. Uh, the thing is, uh, I called, I took uh, 800 number and uh, been trying to get it, and I have been in trouble because uh, they say that they only accept credit cards, and they wouldn't even give me the address to for me to try to write to them. So I've been trying to, and I asked my sisters, but the thing is, since they're not saved and everything, uh, they are. Uh, they're giving me the round around but eventually i guess i'll, I'll get them to it for me but uh mm-hmm. the thing is i have a question for you uh, okay. uh i'm a pas- uh how, how can i say i have a past uh, a heart for pastors i don't know Thank why you. but uh, the lord has put in my heart that to pray for pastors and to help them you know when i'm talking to him or, or whatever uh, talk to them, you know, and some ideas that I shared, they had shared it in the pulpit or something like that. But mm-hmm. I was wondering, is that really, do you think that if that's really uh, the normal Christian way or is it me just that the Lord has put in my heart uh, a special uh, love or care for pastors? I don't know.
2: Yeah, I, I, I think I can answer that, Joe. I, I think this is a, a very unique gift given to you by the Lord himself... Uh, we know that God gives gifts as he wills and especially people uh, who are uh, handicapped in 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 ways uh, that, that are difficult for, for the non handicapped to understand uh, we've got time to pray we've got time to, to to intercede for people and and if this is a, a, a thing that God's put on your heart um, you're standing in the gap for people like me Joe and I can't tell you how much I appreciate it uh, to know that there's people praying Uh, I hope this encourages you Joe Uh, at one point and this goes back many 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 years uh, but I was going through a really difficult time I hadn't been saved too long it looked like the whole world was was closing in on me and and uh, the Lord spoke to my heart I said oh God I need people to pray for me and and he spoke so clearly to my heart he said at any given moment Ron there are more than 10,000 people praying for you at every given moment
1: that's and, um, Brother Ryan. Oh, is, it's that, It's a,
2: yes. a wonderful gift.
1: Yes, sir. You know what I was thinking? Because, like, uh, uh, how can I say, Numbers 11? Like, mm-hmm. uh, I, I would I wouldn't want to tell the pastor, like, if they're going through discouragement or something or disappointment, I would give them the uh, Numbers 11. I said, I would say to them, like, uh, if Moses uh, uh, faced a problem of uh, 3 million people, they were praying that they wanted meat and everything, and God helped them. You know, he had it rough, but at the end, God, God uh, was with him, and he helped them go through that problem. How much more of, uh, of pastors who have uh, uh, a congregation of 700? That's nothing compared to what Moses had, uh, 3 million. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. Yes, sir. Joe, that's thank what you. I like you know to share. Thank you, Joe. I appreciate it very, very much.
1: God bless you. Brother and, 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 I've been praying. I, thank you.
2: You too, Joe. Thank you. And you know, uh, what Joe is explaining this gift is is uh, no different than Aaron and her holding up Moses' arms in the battle. Um, um, our hearts, as pastors, uh, are broken continually. Um, our 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 strength, our our. Hope. Sometimes uh, we see so much pain in people, so uh, unnecessarily, uh, in 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 dangerous places. Um, to know that people like Joe are out there praying for us is a wonderful gift and since Ephesians Joe says that people like me are gifts to the church that makes you not only a gift to people like me it makes you a gift to the church and I thank you so very very much. Three four zero ninety five eighty five. my producer just sent me a note said the name of my talking Bible is Paula. <laughs> thank you Joe. Let's go to my friend in San Leandro California. Tanya thanks for calling you're on the air.
3: Hi Pastor Ron how are you?
2: I'm doing really well, thanks.
3: Great. So Marcus and I are in the truck. He sends his best uh, regards as oh. well. He's giving me a big thumbs up. So I um, miss you, know, Marcus. He says he misses you. Um, I have you on the really? headphone, so you really can't hear. But he'll hear in a little oh, bit. Anyways, Pastor Ron, oh, we have a question about um, there's a lot of, as you know, um, alternative lifestyles here uh, re- really promoted uh, in the Bay Area where we live. And we were talking about what would be the way to respectfully uh, decline an invitation to a homosexual wedding um, you know, what, what's the best way to do that, and if that's something that we do? I mean, Marcus and I were really having this discussion. I know that I have to take my Jesus with me everywhere. I can't take him where sin is. And um, so we're just trying to so – we're talking about that. You know what? It's the perfect time. Let's call Pastor Ron. And the second part of that question is how can we pray for you and the church at Calvary Chapel? And I'll take your answer off the air.
2: Tanya, thank you very, very much. Marcus, mm-hmm. uh, God bless you. I miss you very, very much. Oh, two great questions. Um, I, I, I think it's, it, as long as their heart is right, uh, it's easy to be respectful. Uh, I, I think, Tanya, we need not to worry so much about how other people perceive uh, our questions or, or, or even the answers to things like an invitation to a gay wedding. Um, I think the way you do it, obviously if somebody knows you well enough to invite you to their wedding, this is somebody who knows your heart, somebody you can talk to. And I think the best way to do this is say, you know I love you, you know I pray for you continually. But you also know me well enough to know that what you're doing, according to God, is sin. And because it's sin, I can't participate. I will continue to love you. I'll be your friend. I'm going to continue to share Jesus with you. But I, I'm, I'm never going to compromise on this. And if you think that sounds a little bit too mean, well, understand that my only motive is I can't imagine heaven without you. And they may call you names, and they may think that you're being a bigot. They may think that you're too narrow-minded, but you know the truth, and Jesus knows the truth. And what we've got to do is tell the truth in love. And we're only accountable to God for telling the truth in love. You know, Tanya and Marcus, I'm going to be teaching this Sunday uh, one of my favorite passages in in, uh, all of the New Testament, Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Uh, Just one verse this Sunday, and then the following Sunday, just one verse, Romans uh, 12, verse 2. And um, after um, uh, well over a year, um, closer to two years, in the book of Romans, going through 11 chapters uh, of doctrine and theology and, and solving the problem of sin and all of that, and then finally getting to where we can rejoice at the end of chapter 11 in the goodness and the bigness of God, um, we're told in Romans 12.1, where Paul says, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy." on the basis of what God's done for you, everything that he's done, offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to the Lord. This is your, one translation says, your spiritual act of worship. Another translation says, uh, this is your reasonable service. Now, what we've got to understand and what I want to try to communicate Sunday to the body here at Calvary Chapel is that, that all things the Bible says, not some things, all things, are created for God and toward God. We need to understand that all things, that means our sexuality is created for God. We're to honor God with our sexuality. Uh, we're to honor God by, by, by being forgivers. We're to honor God by, by uh, getting rid of our anger, the unrighteous anger in our lives. We're to honor God by surrendering heart and soul. Jesus said, to be my disciple, you have to pick up your cross daily, Luke adds, and follow me. That means we've got to die. The cross was an instrument of execution. And so what we do is offer our bodies daily to the Lord. And when we do that, we begin to understand that everything about us is for Him and and, and is to be lived toward Him, and I always add with Him. And when we understand that, then we hold on to nothing of our own. Now, the Lord delights to give us the things, the desires of our heart. Psalm 37 makes that clear. But He does that when we delight ourselves in Him. And he puts the desires of his heart from his heart in our heart. So that way we know we're praying in the will of God. And so you can tell your friend that the way that um, I have to decline this is by telling you that your body's made for God. Doesn't matter whether you believe in him or not, everything about you, including your sexuality, is made for him and it's to be lived toward him. That means we have to pursue personal holiness, and without holiness no one will see the Lord, and because I want you to be in heaven, we just can't go, but I'll be praying. Don't wish them the best in their marriage. Just tell them that you care deeply about them, so much so that you're willing even to risk your earthly friendship. in order that they might possibly hear the gospel of jesus christ and come to faith so tanya thank you for calling and i appreciate very very much uh marcus again uh, i know you've grown so much it's been so so long three four zero ninety five eighty five for your live calls in questions uh you know um uh, paul and i have two grandchildren who live uh, in palm desert california palm springs uh, and it is a city that is, um, per capita, I think, the most densely populated uh, gay city in, in the United States, at least it was a couple of years ago. And by that I mean there's just an overwhelming number of uh, of uh, gays and, and and same-sex marriage, and uh, the, the, the political um, community there is dominated by uh, the gay lobby, the gay votes. Uh, and, you know, we, we pray for our grandkids all the time, they're going to grow up in a culture where seeing uh, same-sex couples is as normal as seeing um, um, heterosexual couples. And, and we, our prayer is constantly, we don't want them to get used to it. Not that we're offended by it, not that we don't like people who live that lifestyle. In fact, we love them so much that we're going to tell the truth, it's very important that we stick to our convictions. No compromise. Don't argue. Just declare the goodness of Jesus Christ. You can hear the music. We're at the end of the first half of our program. We'd love your calls at 340-9585 or toll free 877-630-KSLR. We'll be back in two minutes. Welcome back to the second half of the program. We've been getting texts here. Um, reminding me that, that uh, I forgot to ask, answer Tanya's, the second part of, of Tanya's question. I got carried away with my heart breaking over the world that we live in a little bit, and and I forgot she wanted to know how she could pray for, for, uh, for me, for Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Um, uh, Tanya, thank you so much, and uh, I know Joe is still listening as well, so people that pray for us, God bless you. Here's my prayer. My prayer is that we would be a church that is committed and submitted to the will of God every day of our lives. A church filled with love. A church that is uh, filled with the worship of God in spirit and in truth. Uh, A church committed always to God's word. Um, It's such a wonderful group of people. And in this wonderful group of people, I want the best form, and the only way they're going to get that is God's Word. So um, I pray that we would be continue to be a church of real community, real relationship. Um, we've always been so blessed, Tanya, as you know, having been here a few years ago. Um, uh, people serve. It's just an amazing thing. We've never had enough money, but we've always had people to serve. And I just want the same heart. I want us to finish better than we started. That's the the, the best prayer. I want our church, Calvary Chapel San Antonio, to finish better than we started. I think we started great, and I want to finish even better. For me personally, um, you can pray that I finish better than I started. Uh, I want to get to heaven and hear Jesus at least say, nice try. You, d- you did pretty good, but I want to finish better than I started. Uh, I don't want to um, uh, get to the place where we're just kind of going through the motions. I see that happen so often, especially with pastors who've been in their churches for a long time. Uh, I want to continue to be a, a, a godly leader for Calvary Chapel. Uh, I want to pray for a man who prays for his his people so I just need those kind of prayers on a, on a personal note uh, our church because everything we do here is free um, and it costs a lot of money a lot of money um, we need um, provision uh, we need space Tanya you and Marcus can pray for space we need we've got people coming out of every corner of this place so we need space um, So I would appreciate prayer for that. And then again, on a personal note, just that my health would continue to to improve. Um, Having been a healthy, really healthy guy, um, really my whole life, I've been really, really blessed by God this past year, um, going through some heart issues and some things, surgery and other stuff that, that I've never had before, really freak stuff. Uh, and and I'm, I'm doing well i'm getting much much better and much stronger um, but as i get older i don't want i want my body to be strong enough to serve god till my very last breath so those are the things tanya that you can pray for me for also because you're praying for me when you pray for paula please keep paula in prayer her job taking care of me is so difficult poor lady she says I have one job pastor on but it has a lot of tentacles um, and, and what a, a great partner she is in my life I couldn't do what I do without her so please pray for Paula as well one final thing we still have one son his name is Terry who is not saved a wonderful wonderful man he and his wife Lori are not saved I love him with all my heart and I want him in heaven. So if you would add that to your prayer list, that would be a blessing as well. Thank you so very, very much. Three four zero ninety is a question from Daryl. Pastor what is your view on tithing? Do you think 10% is enough to give? Uh, Daryl, I don't have a view on tithing because tithing means a tenth Uh, tithing is not a new testament principle i've answered this question many many times on the program Uh, i know we're sort of locked into tithing and i know many churches uh teach tithing it's a way to obligate us to give uh and 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 no matter how they try to justify it it's simply not a biblical concept for a new testament church um do I think 10% is enough to give? Absolutely not. I just quoted in my conversation um, with, with Tanya that um, we're to give God everything. Offer our bodies, that's our heart, our soul, our strength, everything that we have, everything that we ever will have, offer it to God. And I think the problem with tithing, Daryl, is that if if we teach 10% belongs to God, then we automatically make the connection that the rest of it, 90% is ours, and nothing is ours. As born-again Christians, we have nothing. Everything is God. Now, He's going to let you keep most of your stuff, but He's also going to challenge the heart that wants to claim ownership to some of that stuff. Everything we make, everything we have in terms of time and talent, it all belongs to the Lord. And when we give Him little dabbles, let's imagine if you gave God 10% of your waking hours, just 10%, you'd be the one getting ripped off. The talents that He's given you. Do you give him only 10%, the one who provided you the ability to do what it is? We do. No. We give him everything. Offer our bodies as living sacrifices. When we understand that, that's when we're free from this. 10% is in no way enough to give. We should give from a joyful and a cheerful heart, and we should open our hands figuratively with everything that we have. Lord, here's all your money. What do you want me to do with it? And He would make you a good steward. Giving is important. Here's the overarching principle, Daryl. If 10% was what we were commanded to give under law, as Jews were, how much more should we who are recipients of grace, God's unmerited favor to the infinitely undeserving, how much more should we give? What should our response be? So Daryl, I hope that answers your question. Let's go to San Marcos now and talk with Jim on line one. Jim, thanks for calling, you're on the air.
4: I'm glad to hear you on the radio. I just got out of my job, got in the car, and thought, oh, I'm tired. And I'm a little down. <laughs> Let's turn on Pastor Ron, and I'll feel better. <laughs> um, Hope it works. Something about the, <laughs> the encouragement, uh, you, you, you you tell us some hard truths sometimes, but it's always encouraging. And and I just heard you say something as soon as I got in the car. You we were talking about somebody you knew that, that wasn't uh, born again. And, uh, or that, was, that wasn't saved. And it, it, I've just been circling around this for for months now. When, when I say to somebody, you, you ever thought that so-and-so might be saved? I immediately, I, I usually say it in private. People usually immediately say, well, we don't know. Only God knows. And that's true. But the idea of us looking at fruit and thinking, now oh, they might not be saved. The same way people tell me, well, you don't know if they aren't. Then I'll turn around and tell pastors sometimes, politely, and declare them saved either because you you don't necessarily know. And, and I heard you say that, that you knew of somebody that you needed prayer, you wanted prayer for, that you knew was not born again. How, how do we go about that whole topic? I mean, for example, those people, the person you were talking about, those people you were talking about a few minutes ago, how, how do you know they're, they're not? Are they going so far as to say that they're not believers, they don't believe, or are you just looking at it from their free?
2: Uh, Thanks, Jim. By the way, that's my son, my my younger son, Terry. I said he's a great man. He's a successful man. He's one of the nicest people on planet Earth. Uh, He's a good guy, and it's hard for good people to get saved because they don't think they need to. Um, um, he wasn't raised in a Christian home, so uh, it's Terry, and everybody can put him on your prayer list. His wife's name is Lori. Um, but, but this shouldn't be a difficult question. And, and when people challenge you, Jim, on the, well, you can't say they're not saved. you don't know what their relationship is with God. We do know, because the relationship with God is only possible through Jesus Christ. And unless a man be born again, he will no wise inherit the kingdom of God. So what I do is I quote scripture to him. Jesus told the most religious man in Israel that he had no chance of going to heaven except he were born again. And that's the question. So if somebody says, well, you don't know where I am with the God. Well, are you born again? Well, no. Well, then you're not saved. And we say that on the basis of the authority of the word of God. So this isn't opinion. And, and, and you know, people like to think, well, no, he's a good person, she's a good person, so you can't judge them. We're not judging them. We're trying to get them to honestly identify where they stand with a God that they don't know. And if they don't know Him, they're lost and they're not saved. And I think this is one of the things that we try to do in our culture that backfires on us. We try to make things so um, soft and try to be so sensitive so as not to hurt anybody's feelings. Uh, Jesus never did that. Jesus told people the truth. My goodness, he called the the Pharisees uh, a brood of snakes, whitewashed tombs. He told the woman caught in the very act of adultery, go and sin no more. So that's the way we respond to people. Uh, Sometimes the fruit in people's lives is so bad that it's obvious they're not saved. And in some cases, Jim, when I've had people... Uh, say to me well well, I, I think I'm saved I, and, and I say well look I know the way you're living your life what makes you think you're saved I want them to answer those questions I want them to search their own hearts and if somebody says well you know I answered an altar call or, or I was baptized none of that makes any difference the only thing that matters is are they born again by the blood of Jesus Christ And um, I've had very few people who are not born again tell me they are so when they say they're born again, um, then I no longer judge them. And I'm not judging uh, those who say they're not born again. It's not me judging. It's Jesus. It's His Word that's judging. And and when somebody says, well, you can't tell where they are, what wh- where their heart is with God, um, I, I really can, because just like me, their heart is deceitful and wicked above all things. Their heart is far from God, slaves to sin. One other question that I will ask people sometimes when they tell me, "Oh yeah, I go to church. Well, have you ever lived like one day, just one day just for Jesus? I'll ask him to explain to me, so tell me about your relationship with God. How much have you spoken with him today? Or or, have you been in the Bible today? Well, no, I don't do that kind of stuff. And then I'm, I'm able then to come back with the question, what makes you think you're saved? And I don't want to give anybody false hope, but at the same time, I want to do so in a way that's going to invite them to examine their own hearts because that's the way the Holy Spirit works. Remember, none of us are saved except by the work of the Holy Spirit. Thanks, Jim. I appreciate the encouragement. 340 85. Here's a question just got called into the studio from Cindy. On the night of Jesus' betrayal, what was Peter doing with the sword? Was it customary for the disciples to have swords? Great question, Cindy. Uh, You remember that Jesus just told them prior to this. A time in the garden when Jesus was finally explaining to them that uh, he was going to go away they didn't believe him at first sending so he would explain to them and finally it was starting to sink in and Jesus said look I've taken care of you up to now I've lost none that the father has given me I've taken care of you but I'm not going to be with you in the same sense and he told them to go get a sword now we know sword is a metaphor for the word of God Peter didn't know that. Peter, understanding Jesus was going to leave, was taking Jesus' warning to heart. He was saying, Jesus was, that things are going to be hard for you now. He's told them that they're going to be brought uh, before governors, that they're going to be cast into prison. He's saying that up to this point, we've walked together for three and a half years, and I've protected you. But now I'm going away. And you have to be ready for the battle ahead. So this was really a time of preparation. Well, Peter took him very literally, and he got a sword. This is John chapter 18, and he bought a sword, or or had a sword, just brought it with him, and he was prepared, so he was ready. Now what's especially interesting about this is that having a sword didn't help Peter because he ended up denying Jesus three times. So it wasn't customary for them to have swords. But he was just warning them that there's a war ahead and you need to be prepared for it. Peter took him literally. That's why he had the sword. Uh, I don't believe, Cindy, uh, we have no record of it that the disciples, having become apostles after Jesus' death and resurrection, uh, ever carried swords again. Um, But this was Jesus telling them that now the battle begins. So Peter took him literally. Uh, probably Jesus didn't mean it literal, but Peter took it that way, and he had a sword. And remember what he did with it? He started swinging it and cut off Malchus, the, the high priest's servant, had his ear off. And Jesus just looked at Peter with one of those Peter, Peter, Peter looks. He picked up the ear, put it back on Malchus. And I think Peter finally got the message. He didn't pull the sword when he was afraid. He just denied Jesus out of fear. Cindy, great question. I haven't had that one before, but I think that's great. 340-9585. Here's a question from Mark. Um, Are you familiar with one-on-one discipleship programs? Mike, it's funny that you would ask my friend Tony at the gym just this morning. asked me the same thing. Are you familiar with this? Because I'm doing it. I'm mentoring a young man, and and, uh, uh, we talked about it for a little bit. Um, um, the, the answer is I am familiar with them. Um, Mike, I'm not a fan of programs. You know, if you want to talk to somebody, you want to put your arm around a younger believer, uh, just take a walk with him and the two of you talk to Jesus together, the two of you open the Bible together, but I'm not a fan of programs because programs make especially young Christians or immature Christians people dependent. Um, uh, this whole idea of mentoring, or discipling, or shepherding has been so distorted uh, over the course of church history, and our culture is no different. Um, we become dependent on a person, and uh, my friend Tony was telling me you know, it's, it's, it's a, an hour and a half uh, every day. Um, you, you open the Bible together and you just talk about things and now, not every day but you know, whenever the scheduled days are and, um, and he said I'm getting so much out of it we, you, we always get a lot out of it when we open the word and when we're sharing the word with other people so there's nothing wrong with you sitting down with somebody or somebody sitting down with you and like Priscilla Aquila explaining the way of God more perfectly but remember we all have limited time and what I told my friend Tony was this. I said, Tony, if you take that hour and a half and cut it into two 45-minute swatches, and, and for 45 minutes you just read the Bible, your, your, your young man that you're mentoring, if he would just read the Word and let the Lord speak to him, let the Holy Spirit start... Uh, speaking to his heart so he could discern the voice of God coming through the word of God and then if you take the other 45 minutes and just take a walk get alone somewhere with Jesus and talk to him I think the value for him would be far greater spending an hour and a half with Jesus than an hour and a half with you so again the, the concept is fine we, we need to be there to help people it's just this whole idea that we in America somehow have to make everything a program that's not what the disciples did the disciples especially those who became apostles they hung out together people came around them they shared the word of God they proclaimed the word of God and people got saved and they hung around once they got saved and I just don't understand why we don't follow that model given to us not only in the gospels but given to us in, uh, in the book of Acts. So I understand it's very popular to have mentoring, it's a, a, a worldly concept, um, uh, discipling sounds like such a good thing, but I think Jesus, the true shepherd, is the best one to disciple people. And if I've got an hour and a half that I can spend with somebody on a day or a couple of days a week, I would much rather spend that time with Jesus then get him into a good Bible-teaching church. Um, Let him grow. Let the Holy Spirit do the leading. We have become so man- and program-dependent that I really think, Mike, that we're missing out. So I hope that answers your question. Here is a question from Rachel. I'm glad you asked this question, Rachel. She says, Do you think God will ever add any more books to the Bible. Rachel, the answer is no, 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 a thousand times no. The Bible is complete. Hebrews begins, In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets in various ways and at many times. But in these last days... He has, past tense, spoken to us in son. The literal Greek, I think Hebrews is in his son, our translations. But the literal Greek is in son. And what he was saying, Rachel, is that Jesus is God's last word to a world until he returns again. So there will never be any more books added to the Bible. There will be no new revelation. The canon is closed, and it's a good thing for us that it is. It's one of the most important things that we can do in our walk with the Lord is decide that the Bible is all we need. And we've had people uh, question, uh, questions on this program uh, today about God speaking in dreams. Um, um, the, the overwhelming primary way that God speaks to His people is in His Word. And see, if you're in the Bible, God's mirror to the soul, the sharp double-edged sword dividing between soul and spirit between flesh and faith, if you're in His Word, then what you're going to do is you're going to grow. You're going to find out who He is, and you're going to learn how to walk this life we call following Christ. So no new books, don't wait for anything else. The next thing, Rachel, that we're going to hear, I assume you're a Christian, the next thing we're going to hear is come up here. That's what he said, in the book of Revelation to the apostle John in chapter four. Come up here. That'll be the rapture of the church, and then we will know fully as we are known by God. So Rachel, hope that answers your question. Uh, we're inside four minutes now, so uh, this is probably be the last question. I want to spend a couple minutes on this one. It's from Gina. Gina, thank you for. Um, Asking, I think you're you're asking this question, maybe a little s- cynically, but um, that's okay. Um, question is, do you really believe that good people are going to hell? Uh, short answer is yes, but the longer answer is there is no one good. You see, our standard of good, Gina, is flawed. I said to an earlier caller, Jim, when he called my son Terry. He is a good man, a nice man. But that's compared to me. Compared to Jesus, he's a sinner. And sin separates us from God. That's why Paul writes in the book of Romans, there's none good, not even one. There's no one who seeks God. Now, that doesn't mean there aren't nice people, Gina. There are. And there are people who are nicer than others. There are people who are more moral than others they are atheists who are very, very moral in terms of, of their integrity. They, they, they live exemplary lives, but apart from God, they're still short of perfection, and that's the standard for heaven. The other side of this equation, Gina, is that we're all, once we're born, created in the image of God, we're all born eternal beings. We're all going to somewhere, Forever and ever and ever. And there's only two choices. With God or separate from God. Separate from God, that's what we call hell. With God, that's what we call heaven. And there's no other choice. Hell is described as outer darkness. Weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's described with imagery as burning fire. Again, that's metaphor for being shut out of the presence of God. And it's going to be horrible. But God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, Gina, that whosoever believes in Him wouldn't perish but have everlasting life. Uh- Nobody has to go to hell. God is open with His arms reached out. is open to every single person in this world who's ever lived and said, Come to me. I'm the only source of rest, I'm the only answer for your sin. Again because the standard of heaven is perfection, and because none of us meet that standard, Jesus had to give us his perfection, and when he gave us his perfection on that cross, when he gave up his spirit, he said it's finished, the debt is paid, even though it doesn't look like it to us here on earth, it was at that moment that we became perfect in the song of Solomon he says of his bride all oh, beautiful you are my darling there's no flaw in you Jesus made us that beautiful Gina so yes I really believe that people who don't know Jesus Christ are going to hell but I also know that they don't have to that's a choice they make I pray that you're a Christian that you give your heart to Jesus Christ Hey, thanks for tuning in today. It's been a great show. You've been listening to The Word to Stand On for Life. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Lord willing, I'll be back here on the microphone tomorrow at 4 o'clock. We'll see you then.
0: Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapels, The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh.